how would you react if having received what you believe is a sure promise of God? You've prayed about it, you've read it in Scripture, and, and you just feel the Holy Spirit confirming it. If you believe this is the will of God for your life, and then all of a sudden things just don't work out the way they were planning, or you thought they were going to happen. Perhaps you were, this is going to be the, the man I'm going to marry, the woman I'm going to marry, and, and you do get married, but within the next month, he dies, she dies. We've known different people over the years who have had an assurance or believe that there was an assurance that they were called to ministry, whether it was missionaries or pastors. And some of them left their countries that they were raised in, came to Canada, had been studying here, and then their marriages fall apart. They find themselves not able to serve, to minister they find themselves in a situation where they can't even supply their, their own basic needs because they're not allowed to work here in some situations. Well, this morning, this is the situation, the reality of Daniel. As you know, we saw last week the promise of God came to him. And now, just barely two years later, chapter 10 starts and we read he's mourning. What we're going to do this morning, in starting in chapter 10, right through the end of chapter 12, it's basically one big unit. Again, it's really, it, we shouldn't be breaking this up, but simply because of time and there's so much juice that we need to kind of pull out of these things, we need to recognize it's one unit. But what I want us to do this morning in looking at chapter 10, we're going to see how chapter 10 actually lays an important foundation for what's going on in chapters 11 and 12, which is the prophecy and the vision that's coming. I, I want us to understand what the spiritual blessing is that God gives to Daniel through this angelic being. And then we're going to look at how it applies to us. So again, last week we looked in depth at, at Daniel's outpouring to God, his plea that God would show great mercy on his people, mercy which he knows that they didn't deserve. Even though the people of God hadn't learned their lesson, even though they hadn't changed their ways, God says, I've heard your prayers. I've answered. And here's what's going to happen in very broad terms. There's going to be three stages of my outworking my plan. That first stage is what? It's going to start with the, the edict of Cyrus to go out to return to, to Jerusalem, and it's going to go right up to the time of Ezra. This is going to be a time when the people can return to Jerusalem, to the city, rebuild the temple. And beyond that, Cyrus himself is actually saying, I'm going to pay all the costs. That's the immediate physical promise that God's making to his people. But there's a second stage, and it, it's going to take about 490 years for it to work out, or the equivalent of 10 jubilees. During this time, this time that we've seen in the past, it's going to be the time of the Greeks and the Romans. They're going to be able to rebuild the temple fully and to finish the, the city wall. But it's going to be a time of great instability. It's going to be a time of toil and trouble and persecution. The third stage, the temple, the city would again know desolation. 
it will be destroyed. But this will be the time of the coming of God's anointed one, the Messiah. This Messiah would make a strong covenant with many, a covenant that in spiritual blessings is it will finish transgressions forever. It'll put an end to sin. It will atone for iniquity, and it'll bring everlasting righteousness. All of this was so much more than Daniel could have ever thought or imagined. And yet, again, chapter 10, verse 1, he's what? Mourning. It's barely been two years since this promise of God that, you know what? I am going to do something so marvelous, it's going to be way above uh, the whole sacrificial system. There's going to be one atoning sacrifice for sin. And even at this moment, less than two years later, Daniel is mourning. Well, why is he mourning? Well, he's been mourning for three months. He's fasting. He's praying. He's not eating any meat. He's not drinking any wine. He's not taking advantage of any of the the perks or the benefits of his office, all because he's greatly burdened. We're told in the very first words that this is the third year of the king, Cyrus of Persia. So that means, again, it's about two years after that initial decree has gone out that all of Israel could return again to the promised land. But he's undoubtedly heard that things are not going well back in Jerusalem. First of all, there's only been about 50,000 of the hundreds of thousands that were displaced. Only 50,000 have returned. And beyond that, there are different people groups in the area, especially the Samaritans, who are doing everything they can to grind all the the rebuilding to a halt. There, There was a functioning altar, but there was not much more than that. On top of this, we're told that this is the time of the Feast of the Passover and the Feast of the Tabernacles. This is the time when Israel is to remember God's mercy, the mercy that he took them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and that he actually supplied all of their needs during their desert wanderings. This is why Daniel has not anointed himself. This is the first stage of God's plan that they return, but things don't seem to be going well. They don't seem to be going as Daniel had expected. So instead of celebrating how God brought them or is bringing them out of Babylon in the same way that he had brought them out of Egypt, Daniel now is saddened that so few have returned. Instead of celebrating how God had walked with them in the desert and supplied all of their needs, he's grief-stricken at how little has been accomplished, even with all of the the riches and the coffers that Cyrus has offered. Now, at this point, Daniel's in his 80s. If you notice, he himself hasn't gone back to Jerusalem. (laughs) He hasn't gone back to rebuild. More than likely, he's recognized that as an older gentleman, he probably just doesn't have the strength or the ability to do any of the physical work. But we could probably also work out that he knows that he has a prominent position as advisor to the king. And if he stays where he is in Susa or where the palace is set, he can be of great political value to the people back in Jerusalem. In any case, we see he's on the banks of the Tigris River. 
perhaps thinking and, and reading Psalm 137. How can we sing our songs to the Lord when we're here in Babylon? And it's at that point that God sends a person with a message. Who this person is, we're not exactly told. Some believe that he is an angel, more likely a cherubim, according to the descriptions of, of Ezra, uh, uh, Ezekiel. Others believe that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. And I've looked at this all week. I've kind of bopped back and forth, and I have not come to a decision. I am going to err on the side that I, I think this is an angel. And if you want to discuss this later, we can. Um, but I think there's other things going on later in chapter 11 and chapter 12 that, that direct us that way. But either way, the reality is this. There's, there is a spiritual being that is not of this world. And, and as he comes to, to Daniel, his appearance, his presence is intended to overwhelm Daniel. And those who are with Daniel, who, uh, they don't get to see, they don't get to hear this person, and yet they fall to the ground trembling and try to hide themselves. Daniel he's so humble, he, he, he runs out of words. His vocabulary isn't big enough to, to describe the, the majesty and the glory and the splendor of this radiant being. Now, I know that over the centuries, there have been people who have tried to look at this angelic being and, and said, well, you know, we're talking about, the, the, he looks like Beryl, he's got a robe and a sash and all, and try to name all of these different parts. I think if we go down that line, we're, we're actually hindering ourselves from, act, from understanding the greater impact of the passage. But there is one thing that undoubtedly would have stuck out. This person was dressed in pure linen, and he would have appeared to be like a priest. While he was mourning instead of feasting, pouring out his soul to God in anguish for those who had returned and yet had been stopped from rebuilding the temple, God sends a representative to bring comfort. Now, before we go any farther, there should be one question that's burning in our mind. Why? Why would God send a messenger? What is the message? Why did he have to come? Well, most of the chapter, as we've read it, and maybe you've read it during the week after you get the announcements on Saturday, um, you get the chance to prepare you know that most of the chapter deals with a description of the comfort and the reassurance that this angelic being gives Daniel, and that's important. But I want to challenge you that the importance of that comfort, the importance of the reassurance, lies in what the angelic person is about to say. <coughs> According to verse 14, the reason why he's come is to give Daniel further understanding about what's happening or what's going to happen to the people of God in the latter days. Now that term, latter days, is a technical term in the Old Testament. It was used and developed by the prophets, the minor and the, the major prophets, to talk about the time of the coming Messiah. And here's where we start to have several things coming together that move us to a better understanding of what's happening in the chapter as a whole. Daniel's been praying for the faithful who have returned to the promised land to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. 
but they're having little or no success. He's thinking and praying about what that first stage that God has promised, that the people would be able to go back and rebuild. He's thinking, why are we struggling in this? God has provided his blessing, the riches. Why? What's going on here? But as we're going to see over the next couple weeks, as we look into the vision in chapters 11 and 12, the, the description that's actually given to us has two other layers underneath it. The vision is going to talk about real countries, real kings, real rulers, and, and things that are not that far off in Israel's future. Trials and troubles, things that the people of God are going to experience under the Greeks and the Romans. That is the second stage. So Daniel's looking at the first saying, oh, woe is us, we've got all of these problems even doing the first stage. And the messenger comes and, and, and gives a message that actually projects into the second stage. But beyond this, beyond the not-too-distant future of Israel, it, it also is going to mirror a greater spiritual battle that is yet to come at the end of the age, when the Messiah himself comes. Does that make sense? So the vision that we have in 11 and 12 addresses Daniel's concern, what's going on with the people of God? But instead of talking directly about why they're struggling in building the temple, there is a grand plan, a, a, a panorama of God's redemptive plan given to Daniel. Daniel's prayed, and God has answered. But instead of responding in a way that, that Daniel was expecting... And instead of saying, this is why things are going wrong in Jerusalem, the angelic being, he, he uses the reality of the presence as a springboard. These are the trials and the struggles that you know they're, they're addressing right now. But let me tell you what's going to happen in the centuries to come. In that time of waiting, that second stage, that 400 years before the coming of the Messiah. And then beyond that, even when he comes... This mirrors a greater spiritual battle that is going to happen. I was thinking about this the other day. Think of it as skipping a stone. I think everyone's skipped a stone, right? How many have, have thrown that stone, that found that stone and thrown it, and it's just gone plop in the first one? Well, that would be Daniel. He's thrown his stone, and it's just gone plop. And the angel, or the, the angelic being, has come, and he skipped a stone, and it's hit once, it's hit twice, it's hit three times. So he speaks to the reality of what's going on in Jerusalem, but he speaks to it in terms that are yet to come, in the not-so-near future and in the distant future yet when the Messiah comes. As much as he was concerned for what was or wasn't happening in Jerusalem itself, Daniel is about to find out that there is a greater spiritual reality behind the things he sees, behind the things he hears about, there's a spiritual war that is waging. The struggles that God's people are experiencing in Jerusalem are, are just the outward manifestations of the spiritual war that's going on. They're outward realities. There is a greater, deeper, more ferocious spiritual war that is going on. And, and when the angelic being first comes... He says what? He says, Daniel, I have been delayed for coming to you because the prince of the kingdom of Persia has tried to stop me. 
And then in verse 20, he says, and when I leave, the prince of Greece is about to come. Now, we used to think that these were real princes that were talking about, like, Prince William or something, real people. But the references, such as Deuteronomy 32, verses 8 and 9, it's now believed that these are actually demonic beings. These are fallen angels. And so this angelic beast is saying, I have heard your prayers, I have tried to come to you to give you an answer, and yet I have been thwarted by Satan's minions. We also know that in this spiritual reality that's going on in trying to thwart him from going to Daniel, we read that the archangel Michael came to his help against the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So, so what we start to see in chapter 10, there's a stage being set for us for the vision of 11 and 12. The rest of the book is going to fold out according to this. Because the scenes of the events that we're going to see in the next two weeks, as they take stage, they are really a spiritual battle that is waging underneath the physical battle that Israel is going to see around them. And it's this spiritual battle that Daniel is now starting to be made aware of. He, he starts to see this panorama of God's redemptive plan, and all these things are going to happen according to God's good and wonderful purposes, but there is a spiritual warfare going on. So God, through this angelic being, is re removing the veil of future events to reveal the underlying reality that the promise that God has given to them uh, of this atoning sacrifice, of this pure salvation, of this righteousness that will be theirs, is in fact the spiritual battle that is being played out around them. This spiritual battle started when? Genesis 3, verse 15, the seed of the woman and the serpent but we looked at Ephesians two years ago, and we have that wonderful description of, of the spiritual warfare in chapter 6. And Paul says, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, in the heavenly places. This is what Daniel is being made aware of. All of these wonderful promises of God have to or can only come about through this spiritual warfare that is going on. Now, this spiritual reality is the context of the vision and the dream that's about to come. But it's also the context of the comfort and the encouragement that the angelic being now gives Daniel. And, and that provides the importance of it. It's not simply an angelic being looking down and saying, oh, woe is to Daniel, you're in such a, a bad spot, you, you have an overwhelming desire to pray for the problems of Israel. He comes because God has sent him. And there is a purpose that he needs to understand that there is so much more coming yet. If you're struggling right now with putting up the walls in Jerusalem and rebuilding the temple, there are far greater, more horrendous realities that are coming. They're necessary. They're part of my plan. But how can you deal with that 
you need to know the blessings of God. When the angelic being appears, Daniel falls on his face. He's literally scared to death about what he sees and what he hears. But the angelic being does something amazing. He touches him three times. The first touch, Daniel is able to get up off the ground where he's laid prostrate, prostrate in front of, of this uh, being. With the second touch, Daniel is able to actually speak, to express his thoughts, his anxieties, and his concerns. With the third touch, Daniel is strengthened in his being and is actually given the blessing of peace, shalom. This whole time that this interaction is going on, woe is me, I can't look at you, I can't talk to you, and there is another touch and another touch and another touch. The angelic being is saying, don't be afraid. You're greatly loved. I've heard your prayers. Be strong and very courageous. Why? I have fought to be here. God has sent me. These are all comforting words, but they're the blessing, but the blessing that he gives them of rest is even more important. So in, in short, Daniel is assured of God's love, God's advocacy, that he was on his side, God's ongoing presence, and God's rest. Four things. Let me just say them again. Daniel is assured of God's love, God's advocacy, God's ongoing presence, and God's rest. Now, the theologian, Abraham Kuyper, has once said, if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came into view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle ever fought here on earth would seem by comparison to it a mere game. And that is the veil of the future that this angelic being is revealing to Daniel. At, at the start of chapter 10, Daniel was distraught and anxious about the things that are going on in Jerusalem. But when he's actually confronted by the holiness, the, the otherworldliness of this angelic being, and he starts to perceive of this other spiritual battle that is waging on around him, he needed the shalom, the peace of God, which passes all understanding. He's just a mortal man, and he sees this great spiritual battle that he has no hope of affecting unless it's through prayer. Now, God's purpose in revealing to Daniel the, the spiritual world that's going on behind the physical reality was to strengthen him so that he would have peace amid the conflicts that were going on. God's purpose in recording Daniel's insight into this spiritual reality behind the physical was first and foremost to strengthen Israel that in the centuries that were still to come in the unfolding of God's plan, even though it was all ordained, have peace because God is in control. But you know what? It was recorded for us too. You see, we are the people of God, saved by the blood 
of the covenant of Jesus Christ. We still await the coming of Christ. Not the first coming, but the second coming, right? And the spiritual warfare that was revealed to Daniel is still going on around us. That first stage, 490 years, sorry, that's the second stage, that that 490 years to the coming of the Messiah, that's gone. But now, between the coming of the Messiah and his return again, the spiritual warfare, the outworking of all of those little battles that are necessary for the fulfillment and the culmination of the promise of atonement are still being worked out in the heavens. So we need to be strengthened as well. The spiritual warfare that was revealed to Daniel is still being played out. And the details uh, are revealed to us, not in full, it's not a blueprint, but the details are revealed to us in the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation specifically picks up themes, imagery, the language of Daniel, and thrusts it all forward to the final battle between good and evil. In all of this, we're reminded again that we are simply human. We are sojourners, aliens. Doesn't matter if we're young, we're old, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are awaiting that final salvation. We are awaiting the new heaven and new earth that are coming. Salvation is ours, but there is still much that has to to play out in God's plan. It's not simply that there is a final battle yet to come and that all of these little skirmishes that are are lining up are serendipitous and we don't know what's going to happen. God has actually foreordained each and every one of those because there is a purpose in the accomplishment of those. But they still need to be worked out nonetheless. And in that time, we wait. So amid this spiritual reality that we more than likely never see, especially in in our culture today, as we're so rationally minded, there is a spiritual war being played out. And we understood that when we looked at the book of Ephesians. (laughs) But there's some things that come into play from Daniel that we'll get to in a second. I think our, our nuances in that. So here's the thing. Amid this spiritual reality, Daniel is given the assurances and comforts through this angelic being. Do we have the same assurances and same comforts? What does the New Testament tell us about God's love, God's advocacy, God's ongoing peace, God's rest? Okay, well, what about God's love? John 15, 9 and 12. As the Father has loved us, so I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down their life for his friends. In John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Oh, okay, that's good. God loves us. Well, what about God's advocacy? What does the New Testament tell us there? Well, John 14, 25 and 26 tells us this. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Romans 8, 31 and 30 to 34, just a a little before the verses that we read earlier. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with us or with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? What about the presence, the promise of God's presence with us? Matthew 28, the, the wonderful uh, promise uh, of the Great Commission. And how does Jesus end that? And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. Okay. How about God's rest? Matthew 11, 28 and 29. Come to me, all who labor and who are uh, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your hearts not be troubled, neither be afraid. Daniel were given these promises, and he finds great comfort and assurance to face the challenges of his day and, and to continue to lead those who have not returned to the promised land in an understanding that God is still for us. How much more so can we be assured through the promises that are given to us by the blood of Jesus Christ? And here's the thing, though. It doesn't mean that we can sit and do nothing. It doesn't mean that we can do, you know, and, and have a, a life of leisure. Daniel was a man of prayer. We saw that time and time and time again. It defined his relationship with God. And his concerns about the people of God, this is what prompted him to pray again. He had an insatiable desire to express his soul to God. This is where I'm aching for the people of God. Help me to understand. And God listened. Given his age, it was probably the, the most useful thing he could have done. But he prayed because he was a man of prayer. And the thing that we should notice as well, just as we saw a couple weeks ago, God heard and God answered. As soon as Daniel started praying, as soon as Daniel started fasting and mourning, the angelic being heard and tried to go. Now again, Ephesians 6, how, how does that whole section on the armor of God end? Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and all supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now here's where I think a couple elements come in from Daniel to help fill out our understanding of spiritual warfare a little bit. First and foremost, there is a future coming. There is a warfare. There, is, there are battles to happen. But as I said, they don't happen randomly. They are preordained by God. They have a purpose. All of them together have a final purpose. 
Number two, we better not be glib about the reality of this spiritual world around us. We need to be praying. We need to be recognizing and discerning that we can see things working on around us, uh, the outworkings, of, but there is a spiritual battle behind all of this. And as I was thinking about that yesterday, actually started Friday, I called Marty Fisk. <laughs> we had a good long conversation. And he told me about a couple concerns that have risen recently in the place that we were just in for a short-term mission in Asia Minor. And Pastor Tim shared about this morning. It was only about two months ago that our, our team went. But Marty says, do you know what's happened in the last four weeks? There's a city in the north called Bolu. Five missionary couples and one single have been kicked out of the country. In four weeks, 11 people have been booted out. One of the couples has been there for 35 years ministering and serving. They have an impeccable uh, uh, resume in terms of how they have loved the culture. They've been in the process of getting their citizenship. And in this process, have even won a Supreme Court case that says that they should be allowed to stay. And yet, they've been kicked out. How do these things happen? It's easy to look at the superficial things and say, well, well, you know, they didn't fill out a form, or maybe we don't connect what's going on in this city and that city. But there's obviously a spiritual war going on. This country has a prince of Satan leading and directing it. He's a prince just like the prince of the kingdom of Babylon. His desire is to do evil to the kingdom of God and God's people. Now, Pastor Tim, myself, and I know everyone who's been on that short-term team feels a calling to continue to serve in some way in Asia Minor. But we need to start with this reminder. This is a spiritual war that we're up against. A spiritual war that has a very strong enemy who is already gaining ground in that place. And it reminds us that we need to start with prayer. We have no way of effectuating or, or, or affecting any of the battles unless it's we submit and fall and, and ask the Lord to do something. That is our first line of attack. And, and thinking of that, I want to challenge you this morning. I have one application for all of us, young and old, university, whatever. <laughs> I want us to take the next seven days and I want us to pray for this country. We've gone, we've seen, we're, we're excited about the possibilities of going back, but we know that there is an evil prince who is desirous of closing the doors. We need to pray for God's people who are there. We need to pray for the missionaries who have not been kicked out. Whether they're working with uh, refugees or working with the nationals, it doesn't matter. We need to be praying that the stronghold of Satan be tore down. And if we can't do that, how can we ever expect to go back? So let us start with prayer.
and, and I think young people, <laughs> you're probably closest to your university studies, and, and I'm sure you understand that you are recipients of an education based on reason, based on a post-enlightenment, uh, based on a, a reality that there's probably nothing going on there it's spiritual. It, it, it's simply understanding the laws of nature and how this all works out. I, I would say you need to first start ask the Lord for discernment about what this means. Now, understanding history that one thing leads to a next to an S, it, that's just a superficial. Ask the Lord for an understanding of what's going on spiritually in that, in that battle underneath. Ask the Lord for an understanding of what that battle means for you as you go back to university. Because you're going into the bastion that says there is no such thing as spiritual reality. It's just superstition that we need to, to keep our lives sane. And I would say pray to go. We want to go back, but we need to pray, Lord, use me. And maybe you're on the other end of the age scale, and you're more like Daniel, thinking, well, I, you know, I can't go, I'm too old, I can't do much. But here's the thing, over that lifespan, there is a wisdom and an understanding that not everything can be explained rationally. There are so many things that happen in our life that can only be understood by a sovereign God moving and designing and fulfilling all His good and wonderful purposes. And if you think about it, there is a, a, a reality that there is also a satanic force in this world. Rising up of nations, falling of leaders to, to dispose one and put another in place. These are the outworking of that spiritual battle that's going on. But just like Daniel, maybe you're most effective in staying here and praying earnestly because you know that reality very personally. You've experienced it in your marriage. You've experienced it at your work. And you can pray much more effectively. But that's where we need to start. Daniel was facing for the first time that all the promises of God that we're going to have this atoning fulfillment of sacrifice and, and salvation, that underneath, this is only going to be accomplished through the spiritual warfare that God was waging. He needed God's shalom, God's peace to deal with that. I would say, likewise, we do too. We need God's peace because we know that this is not a war that we can win. Only He can. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you.